Well, hello, CMYK community, and welcome to another CMYK Talk podcast. My name is Matt, and if you are listening in for the first time, welcome. So glad, honored that you would choose to just dip your toe in the water and uh, be a part of these conversations and thoughts with us. We are a community uh, at CMYK that is working to disrupt towards wholeness, to see our lives find wholeness, our world find wholeness, and live to create a better world. Everything that we do is pointing ourselves in that direction. And so we would just invite you to come and be a part of that, whether it's through listening to this talk podcast or being a part of uh, the conversations and connections at our Sunday gatherings. Uh, Whatever it is, we would invite you to just jump in because we think these kinds of things matter. And specifically, the conversations that we think matter. Uh, Today for us, we're talking about uh, re-understanding heaven and hell. It's a series of talks that we've been in for a couple weeks now, but we're trying to wrestle through uh, really a picture, a story that many of us grew up hearing. Whether we grew up in the church or not, we all have a picture, an idea of what heaven and hell look like. And what's fascinating is when you actually kind of start to zoom in on some of these texts within Scripture and zoom in on some of these stories about heaven and hell within the Bible, the story that we hold versus the story that the Scriptures actually talk about quickly become two different things. And so for us, we're just saying, okay, what's that story that we hold? And we're being honest about that. And then we're looking at, okay, what's the stories that the Scriptures hold? And what's the difference? And is there a more beautiful, best way to approach these kinds of things? Does a story of heaven and hell even matter in our world in 2018? Or is it some archaic, medieval kind of view of things? And so that's why we're doing this series. That's why we're talking about it. Because ultimately, I think this conversation does matter, and I think the story that we hold about eternity, about the afterlife, whatever it is, it matters for here and now. And that is no more true than what we're talking about today. So I'm so glad that you're choosing to be a part of this conversation. In 2013, there was a film that came out entitled Elysium. It starred Matt Damon and was this futuristic vision of the world where there was poverty and injustice rampant on planet Earth. There was overcrowding, kind of a dystopian future. But in the midst of that, there was the rich population that had created a space station off of planet Earth that was known as Elysium. And it was a space where uh, everything was right. They had the proper technology. They were loaded. They had no needs or desires or wants. Everybody was happy all the time. And so the story revolves around Matt Damon's character, Max, as he is uh, dealing with this physical ailment and about to die. And so his story is one where he's trying to get off of planet Earth to Elysium because it's there that he believes and he knows that things will be made right. He's going to be healed and he's going to finally have things the way that he wants things for his life. He's a guy that continues to run into problems here on planet Earth, and so finally he's going to have this release where he finally gets things the way he wants. On top of that, there's this picture with an Elysium that everyone kind of looks the same and is on the same page. There's no conflict or strife in Elysium. Meanwhile, there's incredible conflict on planet Earth, and so he's trying to escape that conflict to this space where everybody is on the same page. Everybody kind of looks and acts the same, and we're all cool. We're all chill, bro. On top of that, Elysium 
is this story of uh, a, a place where everyone belongs that's there. And there's a strong narrative of there are those that don't belong there. They haven't lived the kind of life. They haven't paid the money. They don't deserve and haven't earned to go to Elysium. And so there's a strong narrative of trying to kick people off as they're fighting to get to Elysium to say, no, you don't belong here because everybody that is here, they've earned it and they deserve it. Now, I actually really enjoyed this film. And while it was kind of a middle-of-the-road film for a lot of critics and some of my friends weren't the biggest fans of it, for me, I personally enjoyed it. I thought it was a film that invited a lot of conversation around social dynamics and politics, around the concept of healthcare, and a lot of other things. But there was this clear picture and image that I think Elysium paints when it comes to this concept of heaven. That we as Christians, or we as people in the United States of America, honestly, have been handed this story of heaven that looks eerily similar to Elysium. That we are here on planet Earth, and things are not okay, and things are not right, and there's conflict, and there's strife, and we are trying to get our ourselves a ticket, an ability to get into Elysium or get into heaven, a space and a place where we finally can see everything is made right and I finally have things the way that I want things to be. Because let's be honest, there's not very very many things in our lives that are just the way we want them, are they? And so we long for, we desire the story of heaven where someday we're going to finally have it the way that we want things are going to be right. On top of that, this story of having to only interact with those that we kind of connect with and there's no conflict or strife because we're all kind of look alike and act alike and think alike and believe alike. Man, this is this sounds really, really great, especially right now in our polarized culture, like just to be around people where we're all on the same page. It's this idea of heaven that connects with the story of Elysium that we're just all chill, bro. And then on top of that, to understand that within the story of Elysium is, yes, this, okay, only certain people belong here. You have to deserve it, earn it, and that's what gets you in here, and you cannot just fight your way into this. For many of us, this story and this picture of heaven is one that you have to do certain things to get there, and if you don't do these things, you don't belong. And so for me, living my life in such a way that I want to make sure that I'm doing the certain things and the right things to belong to this space called heaven or Elysium. Now, this picture of heaven is one that is incredibly powerful, and it's one that's incredibly motivating. It's probably why it's been a story that many of us have heard and many of us have grown up with believing in. When we hear and think about this story of heaven, it revolves around these kinds of things. The problem is, when we actually hold up this story, what most of us hold heaven to be, Versus what the scriptures actually talk about and communicate to and point at. This is what heaven is like or is going to be like. Those two things don't always line up. And for me, if I'm going to hold a story of heaven, yes, I want it to be powerful. Yes, I want it to be motivating and exciting. But when I hold up this Elysium story versus the scriptures, there's something that's found in the scriptures for me that I find to be far more powerful and significant for my life here and now, today, and the potential of what could be. So today what I want to do is say, okay, yeah, most of us, we have this story or this picture of heaven that's a lot like Elysium, but is there a problem with that when we hold it up to the scriptures? And what would the scriptures actually communicate heaven to be like? And is that more motivating and powerful for you and for me? So the first thing that I see when it comes to this problem with Elysium or heaven is that it's simply reflecting me, not Christ. 
If I'm honest, this picture of heaven at its most basic level is something that is where I, Matt Blakesley, have things my way. Things are right the way I want things to be right, and I get to interact with those that I want to interact with, and it feels like everybody's on the same page because they're on my page. They're choosing to see the world the way that I want to see the world, and that everybody is there has done the same amount of work that I have done to get to this place called heaven, and so it's a celebrated thing that look at me and me choosing the winning team, me choosing the right things. I'm in the right. I'm in the the good, right crowd. And everybody else that's outside of this thing, man, bummer, because you didn't choose what I chose. You didn't want what I wanted. You didn't get what I got. And so at, the, at its most core basic level, heaven, if it is just us getting what we want all the time, it's a greater reflection of who we are and ourselves than it is a reflection of Christ or God, the divine. And this is one of the strongest images that we find within scripture is that the heavens are a place where God or Christ is glorified and worshiped for all eternity, that that is what is at the center. And for many, this, this idea of worshiping God for eternity can be one of the most big, biggest turnoffs that we could experience when it comes to religion. Because when we think about worship or glorifying God, we easily go back to church services that maybe we've experienced before. And the thought that, okay, this church service, so it's just going to be like this, only it's going to go on for eternity. Like <laughs> many of us have experienced church services and they feel like they go on for eternity. But there's this idea that like, this is heaven, this is good, this is what I want. Or, or how many of us that worship and music are these two interlinked concepts and ideas. And as great as church music can be at times, the thought of that going on forever and ever and ever it's like, man, we, we need to close this thing down. What kind of worship church service is it? And do they have lights? Is it old traditional liturgical style or is it new flashy, you know, lasers and smoke and fog and all those kinds of things added to the mix? What does this picture of heaven, if it's glorifying and worshiping God for all eternity, what does it look like? Again, for some of us, this is a big turnoff. We're like, man, I think I'm out. <laughs> I don't really want to attend that heaven. I don't want to be a part of that if this is what the scriptures of the Bible say heaven is to be like. Well, here's what we know. Throughout the scriptures, multiple times, what we see painted as glorifying or worshiping God is not found in some kind of religious activity but it's found in something completely different. There's these times in the Old Testament when the nation of Israel, they're trying to do the right things. They're trying to worship and glorify God. And over and over and over again, particularly in the prophets, in the book of Isaiah or in the book of Amos, we see the prophet, we see God respond to the nation doing all of these religious tasks and duty and services, these kinds of things. And what we see God speak to is he says, stop that. Just stop. Stop your music. Stop your song. Stop your sacrifice. Don't do that. And he says, if you want to glorify me, if you want to worship me, if you want to make me the center of all of this stuff, then stop those religious things and find yourself and your life giving to those in need around you, being aware of the poor, the widow, the orphan, making sure that everybody has enough food to eat and a place to stay, making sure that everybody is seen and loved and embraced, those on the fringes. What does the life of Christ communicate over and over and over again? Not one where he's trying to start worship services, but one where he's working to show the people on the fringes and the outside, the poor, the needy, the orphan, the widow, they matter and are significant and they must be seen and embraced and cared for. This is what it means to glorify and to worship God. 
And so what we need to see and understand that heaven at its most basic level within the scriptures is a space and a time where, yes, God is glorified and worshiped in all eternity, but that picture is one, not of some kind of everlasting church service, not of a concert that goes on and on and on, but it's a picture of people, humanity, caring for one another, and there are no needy people in our midst. It's a space where widows and orphans, the poor, are cared for. It's a space where everyone is seen and known and embraced. Now, now for me, I got to be honest and say this is a picture of heaven that I can get behind. Because just a picture of golden paved roads and a giant mansion, yeah, as fascinating as that might be, honestly, that's going to get really old and really boring really quickly. But the thought of me spending my life or eternity in a place where everyone sees and embraces one another, where there's no murder, strife, when there's no greed or hunger, bitterness or lack, this is something that I can't wait to see and I can't wait to be a part of. It's fascinating in the book of Revelation, the writer of this text, Revelation 20, John uses this statement and phrase to say that we will reign with Christ in heaven. Now for us, we, we, it's a, there's a tendency to, to bring this understanding to this word reign that we're going to be in this controlling seat, throne power, and that's what it means to reign with Christ, that we're in control. And again, it's me-centered. I get things my way the way that I want them to be. But the reality of what this word actually means is that it's to actively participate in the things that Christ is doing, to actively participate in the ordering of creation. This is what heaven and eternity looks like, that we are a part of bringing this kind of picture, image, and world into existence, that we are made to explore and discover and learn and create and shape and inform and engage this world and the people around us. This is what it means to glorify God, and this is something that is so fascinating and motivating for me. On top of that, I think it's important to note that over and over and over again in the scriptures, there's this picture that heaven is for everyone. It's not just for people that look like me, talk like me, act like me, think like me, but that heaven is for everybody. And there's actually some really crazy like language that's used in the Old Testament that this is for every tribe, tongue, man, woman, That's a crazy idea in a tribalistic culture where someone that looks different than you or talks different than you is seen as the enemy and the role of tribalism is to either, uh, you know, get rid of them, take them out or assimilate them into your tribe and your way of thinking. The scriptures don't seem to be motivated around that concept, but it basically says, no, it's other tribes, it's other tongues, it's other people, and this is for everyone. It's not just people that look like me, talk like me, and think like me, but it's us in all of our differences and all of our uniqueness, being able to find this space where we can care for one another, see each other, and embrace each other. I love the way Rob Bell puts it, that a racist is going to be miserable in heaven, because this isn't just a reflection of myself. This is everyone that I've got to see. On top of that, I find it fascinating 
that there's this story that Jesus speaks to in Matthew chapter 20. It's a parable of this man, that this uh, owner of a field, and he's hiring workers to work in the field for the day. And he goes out at the beginning of the day to get some work done and hires this group of people. And then about partway through the day, he decides he needs to hire some more workers. So he brings in more people to the field. And then at the very end of the day, the last hour, he goes and hires another group of people and says, I need some help to get this work done. And so there's these three groups of people that have been working different lengths of time. But at the end of the day, when the owner of the field is divvying out the payment for the day, he gives the same payment to everybody. Everybody gets the same reward for their work. And in the story, Jesus says, those that started the day at the very beginning, they look at those that came in at the last hour and they have a problem. They're like, how do they get the same thing that I got? How do they deserve and earn the same amount of money and the same reward that I'm receiving? And Jesus says that this is what heaven is going to be like, that this isn't about us setting a line or a mark in the sand, and that you have to deserve and earn this to the same level and degree that I've deserved and earned this. Again, this is not a me-centric vision or idea of heaven, but this is for everyone. And Jesus is inviting everyone in all places and in all spaces of life to come and experience this idea and vision and picture of glorifying God and seeing this kind of thing come into reality for their life. And so there's a potential, if it's very me-centered, for me to be very frustrated and upset because it feels like I've struggled and I've strived and I've said no to things that I wanted to say yes to all for the sake of heaven. And there's someone that's going to be there, Jesus says, that I'm going to have the potential to say, but they didn't struggle. They didn't strive. They didn't say no to the things that I said no to. How come they get to be here? And Jesus is telling a story to say, no, heaven, it's for everybody, all tribes, all tongues, and it's for everybody. It's an invitation, no matter what kind of difficulty you feel like you've gone to, gone through to get here, everyone is welcome, because this is not a me, Matt Blakesley-centered space and place. It would be very boring if it were, but this is a space where we get to see God, Christ, and this vision and idea glorified. This is what the scriptures communicate and speak to, and honestly, this is something that I find so motivating. Secondly, this picture of Elysium or heaven has a problem because many times it's always revolving around some place else at some other time. It's the whole concept of the movie of Elysium. It's the whole concept of heaven for some of us, that we are on the, in this space on planet Earth that we don't like, that things are not okay the way that we want them to. And so we're looking for and longing to get up into the heavens or get into the sky uh, to another place and another time where things are going to be made right. There's this interesting interaction in the book of Matthew, chapter 19, where Jesus is communicating to this rich young man. And it says that, that this man came up to him saying, Teacher, Jesus, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. Now, there's something really fascinating here about this interaction between Jesus and this man. That this guy has essentially put the ball on the tee for Jesus to take the driver and knock it out 300, 400 yards. Just let this thing sail. It's an easy question because for many of us, our whole Christianity and existence, the whole idea of evangelism revolves around this question. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? 
This is the question. Well, so Jesus has this ball on the tee that he could easily just knock it and say, okay, here's, here's what you do. You pray this prayer, you say these things, you check this box, and he, Jesus could walk him through the Romans road and say, here's how you know that this is where you're going to go when you die. Jesus could have had everybody bow their heads and close their eyes and say, okay, I'm, nobody else is looking. If you want to look up at me, I'm going to see you, and then you're going to know that you get to go to heaven when you die. Jesus could have done those things. This is that moment, because this is the question the man is asking, Right? But here's what I find so fascinating. Jesus doesn't respond to this question with any of those things. He doesn't respond to that question with any kind of theology about what you need to do to know where you go when you die. What does Jesus do? He says, not, here's how you get eternal life. He says, if you would enter life. Jesus, many times in the Gospels, over and over and over again, is not interested in asking the question of how you get to heaven when you die. The message and the work of Christ over and over and over again is more about this statement and this question, entering life here and now. Is there this idea that there's an age or a time to come when things are made right and God is glorified and there is no murder or strife or greed? Yes, yes, yes. But Jesus doesn't seem to be interested about how people can get there someplace, sometime when they die. But Jesus is interested in something here and now in this moment. For many of us, this idea of heaven is always someplace else. I, re- I remember I heard a pastor uh, speak a few years ago, and he started talking about why he, chose, why he chooses to drive an SUV. And basically, it was because this whole world is going to burn anyways, and I'm just going to go to heaven to be with Jesus. So why bother if I'm destroying the world through the way that I live? And as repulsive as that was for me, and still is in many ways, I think many of us can see and understand there's a, there's a theology or a thought that we bring to this story of heaven that influences the way that we live here and now. And we see it all throughout our world and all throughout how we're choosing to interact with the stuff and people around us, that we can leave this trail of destruction because I'm just going to go to heaven somewhere else at some other time when I die. And Jesus, through this conversation with this man and through so much of his teaching, is not talking about that kind of life. He's talking about there's something here and now that we are invited to enter into. And this thing that we're entering into is something that is eternal. There's language that we find within Revelation that it's not you know, humanity escaping earth to go up into heaven, but the end of the story is that there are the new heavens and the new earth that descend and are a part and joined with this earth, this ground underneath our feet. And Jesus is interested in how we redeem and are a part of this story and this life and this moment and redeeming that, bringing that here. It's why he invites his disciples to pray like this, that we would pray that God, your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven, that our work is to see this take place here. Revelation 21, there's this language of God, not humanity going to live with God, but God coming to dwell here among the people. So rather than this idea of escapism, which for many of us, this is what heaven is. It's us escaping planet earth to get somewhere else. The narrative and the story of scripture in heaven is one, just like Jesus in this moment with this man, it's an invitation to enter life here and now.
This is why Jesus responds to this man. He says in verse 21, 19, he said, if you would be perfect, in other words, if you would enter life, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, Matthew says, for he had great possessions. In other words, Jesus was inviting this man to enter into something here and now in the way that he was choosing to view himself and his possessions and interact with those things, that there was something that was going to be eternal about choosing to see others and care for others more than he cared for himself. And this man went away sad because he was not interested in that. He was looking for something different. The invitation of scriptures in heaven is for us to enter into an eternal kind of life here and now in this moment, on this, in this place, on planet Earth, that we engage in this kind of story of glorifying Christ, of seeing the outsider and the other, caring for orphans and widows and those in need around us, embracing everyone, and not living by tribalism, and not trying to create, draw some kind of lines in the sand of who's in and who's out, but to see our lives as inviting everyone to come and be a part of this kind of picture now, heaven on earth. And this is an eternal story. I think it's so important to note that this book of Revelation, it's the last book in the Bible, It's one that's used all over the place to talk about what the end times and what heaven's going to be like. I find it really important to note that this story comes, the book of Revelation comes in the midst of the Jewish people, the church, under the oppression of Caesar. And they're asking a lot of questions about, is this this worth it? Is this other way? This Christ-like way of caring for those in need around us, is that really going to win in the end? Because it seems like Caesar and power and money, control, manipulation, it seems like these things are are what's going to win at the end of the day. And so there's this question many times of, well, I should just give up on these things of Christ. I should just give up on this idea of heaven, and I should just lean into greed, just lean into control, just lean into manipulation and accumulating more and more stuff, because that just seems to be the thing that wins. And it's in the midst of that story for the followers of Christ and for the church that this narrative and this vision of revelation comes through and says, no, this thing does not win. Control and money and accumulation, it does not win in the end, but actually love and grace and peace and embracing outsiders. This is what wins at the end of the day. This is what's eternal. And this is where this story is headed. And so heaven is not a story of us escaping somewhere. Heaven is not a story that revolves around me, but heaven is a far more powerful and I think potent vision of me seeing here we are in a culture and in a time where I myself find my, I ask myself the question, okay, It seems like control and manipulation and money and just power and acclaim, it seems like these things are what win at the end of the day. So should I make my life about those kinds of things? And it's in the midst of that that this vision and this story of heaven would speak to it and say, no, those things are not eternal. Those things don't win. But an invitation to see my life engage now, to enter into life now with my family, with my friends, with the people around me, to work to see the outsider and to embrace them, to care for the needs of those 
around me. This is my engagement and celebration of heaven. And the belief that this doesn't just end with me, but there's something eternal about this that I'm choosing to make my life about. So for you, what's your story of heaven? Because you can spend your life just trying to create an escapist kind of reality where you're just trying to escape what's going on in this world. You're just trying to escape what's going on with you and your family and your friends, and you're just waiting for that other place another time. You can easily create something that centers and revolves around you and your wants and your needs and your desires, your thoughts, your beliefs. You can do that. But I don't think that's Christ-like. I don't think that's biblical. Or are you somebody that would choose to pick up this story and this vision of heaven that is far grander and far more beautiful, and you see yourself enter into life now in the way that you're choosing to engage this stuff. This is why this story of heaven matters, because it influences the way you live this breath and this moment. May you be somebody that as, as we pray as a community regularly at our gatherings, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May you be somebody that has a picture and a vision of heaven that is motivating to see Christ and this story glorified and made much of, because that's what this world and your family and your neighbors and your workplace needs, because that, I believe, is what wins at the end of the day. I love you. If there's anything that we can do for you, please let us know, and we'll continue on with this series next week.